Hey everybody, welcome to the 180 with Eric Lockley. I'm your host, Eric Lockley. And you know, there are moments in life that define us, that set us on one path or plunge us down another path completely. Join me as we dive into our guests' turning points. Let's laugh, heal, and be inspired together as we pull back the curtain on how our guest made the 180. Sometimes life gets hard when you're on your journey. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah. I am so thrilled, so excited to have my guest, Miss Jessica Francis Dukes, here with me today. Hello. <laughs> What's up, Jessica? Hey, bro. <laughs> I'm going to tell y'all a little bit about Jessica. She is from the DMV area. That's D.C., Maryland, Virginia, for y'all that don't know. If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> Originally, specifically from Riverdale, Maryland, which is like right outside D.C., like right in like Maryland, D.C., like right in the middle. After going to both undergrad and grad school, Jessica racked up a number of credits on the stage, including Booty Candy, Macbeth, King Headley II, one of my favorite plays by August Wilson, and I loved you in that role. I got to see you do that. You did? Yes, yes, I know, because it, it was in D.C., but I think I was in D.C. at the same time, and I, you tore it up. Yeah. King Headley II, and by the way, meet Vera Stark. Jessica is an Obie Award winner and a Delco Award winner, and on the screen, she's been in Marvel's Jessica Jones, New Amsterdam, The Good Wife, and NCIS. And most recently, you may know her as Maya Miller in season three of the Emmy-winning show Ozark. We welcome the lovely, wonderful, talented Miss Jessica Francis Dukes. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have some fun, learn about a 180 in your life. Hey. So to get started, we, we like to play some games, uh, some kind of getting to know you games. Uh-oh. And I just made up this game, so I'm excited. We're going to see how it works out. It's game time on the 180. The name of the game is... Stay put or 180? Are you going to stay where you are or are you going to turn it around? Here's the scenario. A stranger with a bag approaches you. She tells you there's $50,000 in the bag and that she's going to give it to you and you can keep it, but you just can't open the bag until she's out of your sight. Do you stay put and hold on to that bag or do you turn around and give her a 180? Okay, so I can't, I can't open the bag until she leaves. Right. But if I can probably see if it's money or not in the bag. Maybe, I don't know. But I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have 180. You're going 180. I'm going 180. I don't know her. <laughs> I'm a 180. I understand. I understand. You know, you know, strangers approaching you. I don't know. I don't know. That money might be tied to something. I don't know what your money's tied to. Exactly. I mean, especially Ozark. Come on. Come on, Maya Miller. Come on. <laughs> Stay put or 180. You get a text from a number not saved in your phone that says, I miss you so much. Think of you often. Hope you are well. <laughs> <laughs> do you stay put and respond to the text? Or do you 180 and ignore that? I stay put. Who is this? Take your claim. Stake your claim. What's your name is? <laughs> no, yeah, stay put. Who, who is it? Use your words. Right, right. That's great. And then I might 180 depending on who you are. <laughs> 
Some people would just be like, that that was meant to, if I don't got you on my phone, there might be a reason. Hey, you, you, know, you know, it's a lot of people not in our phones. Right. <laughs> it's so true. There's a lot of people not in our phones. So let's at least find out who you are. Right. Okay. Another one. Stay put or 180. You're outside. There's a bee approaching you. You think it's going for the drink that you have nearby. So you move the drink. But no, the bee is still coming towards you. As it gets closer, do you stay put? Or 180. I can answer. I could have answered this one as soon as you said beak. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You will see me run fast. 180. 180. I'm, I love bees. Thank you for what you do for our world. But you don't play with the bees. I don't do the flying things that sting. You, are you allergic or you just don't? I'm terrified of them. Oh. I, I'm allergic in that sense. <laughs> you, I will freak out. You fret, not break out. I will freak out. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> so now these are a couple more questions that are not Stay put on 180. They're just fun questions. What's your favorite breakfast food? Waffles, bacon, and eggs with fried potatoes. But it has to be all of them. It's not like one thing. I think breakfast is my favorite meal. It's just, it can be so warming and refreshing and just, yes. But waffles, my... That's my favorite meal. And it's like, I will have it every day if I could. Uh Uh-huh. My father grew up uh, making waffles because it was... (laughs) so easy. We had a little, little like, you know, wasn't waffle makers. He'd be like, okay, it's ready. He was so excited. We'd be like, if we said we wanted waffles, because he's like, okay, that's real easy. Mm-hmm. Do that. Yeah. Do you play a musical instrument? And if not, which instrument would you like to play? I play the, oh, it's not over there right now. Oh, it's behind the chair. There's a bass clarinet behind that chair. Hey. There's a clarinet right there. Oh, I see it. Also play piano. I would love to get back into. Wow. And I've played a couple of other things, but those are the two that have stuck with me. I took piano first, and then I started clarinet in like seventh grade, and then did marching band and orchestra and all that stuff. I was full on, full fledged, twenty four seven band geek. Yes. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So you know, the next time or whenever Broadway gets back, but that they're looking for the people that can act and and sing and play all at once. You ready? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Are you a cat person or a dog person? I'm both. Yeah. I've had a cat and I've had a dog and I literally just finished fostering a pit bull. Oh. I love animals, period. I ride horses. I had birds. I killed my parakeet. Uh, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We, wait, we gonna have to pause there. Yes. <laughs> yes. You yes, I did. Yes, I did. How did you kill your parakeet, Jessica? Uh, what happened was you know, I was young. The parakeet was the first pet. Okay. His name was Ernie. He had a sister. Her name was Irma, but she just, she was stressed. She had a heart attack very early on. <laughs> and then Ernie was a roll dog. Ernie hang, hung in there. He went all over the, you know, country with me. He went to summer camp with me. Wow. Um, but as far as cleaning his cage one day, I decided to take the quick route, unfortunately, and spray Lysol to take care of this smell. Um, I didn't know. No. And um, therefore, I kill my bird. Oh, my gosh. You sprayed Lysol. You just you didn't know. But it makes sense that I'm now, I was a bird killer and now I'm a bird hunter. Hey, <laughs> hey, full circle. <laughs> Somewhere Ernie is in bird heaven life. He is. I wrapped him in an American flag, put him in a shoebox and buried him. Oh. Did you all have like a ceremony? I did. I had my own. Oh. I had to be like, I think it was like nine. I had my own ceremony. <laughs> oh, that's be well. Rest in peace, Ernie. Yes. <laughs> we thinking of you and, <laughs> and your sister and Irma. Well, thank you. It was a great playing a few games and getting to know you in that way. Yes. <laughs>
a little applause for that moment. I've known you for uh, a few years from the theater scene here in New York City. And it's just so exciting when we get to see our friends kind of make that transition from being a big part of the theater community to then landing roles on TV and then getting starring roles on TV shows. I'm curious, I know that during your run as Vera Stark, and by the way, meet Vera Stark, yes, 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 you were excellent in that. Apparently the casting director of Ozark attended. So what was the process going from that moment of being like, oh, somebody from Ozark is in the house, to you auditioning and then booking the role? What was that process like? Well, you know, I don't necessarily 100% know what the process was on her side of things. I love everything that she casts. I've been in for her maybe once or twice, mm. but I, I knew she cast Ozark, but mainly I knew she cast a lot of things and uh. I really wanted to get in her eyes. So she was actually on a list of casting directors that I wanted to invite to the show. So I actually invited her. Hey, well, pause, pause real fast. She invited the casting director. So I just, you know, that's a note to acknowledge because sometimes people expect like, I got in the show, people just need to come see me. I'm, I'm not going to put any more effort into it, but you... We're intentional about inviting that casting director. So that's great. I mean, you can ask all my friends. Like at that time, I was like, I love y'all, but I have no comps. All these comps are for these casting directors. Due to where I was at the time in New York and still considering myself to be sort of new to the New York casting directors. And I was just like, you know, this is an opportunity with this role. Yeah. Lynn wrote such an amazing quilt of a woman that mm -hmm. I had so much fun playing. And I felt it sort of introduced people to me in a way that they hadn't been introduced before. And I felt that as many casting directors as I could get in the seats, I tried and I, you know, would just, my agents were wonderful and they were just sending emails and like, here are the reviews, you know, go see it if yeah. you can. And luckily, closing week, Alexa Fogel wow. uh, asked my agent, was like, yeah, sure, I'll take her out for one of those tickets. Yes. You know, it was Ozark and all those things that she casted and I think it was like maybe two weeks later, she called me in for Ozark and I was like, okay, <laughs> she cast a lot of shows, <laughs> but this is my, one of my favorite shows. So I was just like, yes. oh gosh, here we go. Yeah. So that's what, that was that journey. And then in terms of the audition, especially High Stakes, it's one of your favorite shows. How did you prepare or what was that process like of preparing and then getting in the room? Ideally feeling good after you left, but you never know. Sometimes I binged. I binged again. I had already binged. I was so familiar with the actors. Laura Linney's one of my favorite actors ever. Mm -hmm. I've seen everything she's done repeatedly. Sometimes just watching it just to see her work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She's incredible. Uh, she, she really is. She really is. So I watched the whole two seasons again, mm -hmm. and I even rehearsed the audition. This is my little secret. I even rehearsed the audition with the show in the background. So Ooh. I'm an audio learner. So when I was learning the lines for the audition, I had the show on in the background. So I was staying within the rhythm and the pace of the show, especially because I knew my sides were with Marty Bird. I put on a Marty Bird scene and kind of ran within his rhythm that was already in place and so solidified as Marty Bird. Jason Bateman does such a great job at that character. And it's just so great because you know how Marty Bird is going to respond if you know the show. Mm -hmm. Or you, wow, you may know, you may know. And that's amazing because earlier hearing that you play bass clarinet, clarinet, and the piano, that sense of musicality, how that can influence your process as an actress. Yeah. Like that's amazing. Because if you really wow. listen, every show has one. Yeah. 
every show has a soundtrack before the soundtrack is even added, you know, mm. and but Wendy is, is well, it, every season it, it's different, you know, Ruth is that trumpet of the show, you know, she's the, she's the heart of that, you know, Marty is the beat, you know, Laura is the melody and it's just, it's such a beautiful orchestra already in place and just to listen to it and go, okay, where is Maya? What's that instrument? So I tried to find where I would fit in it um, because I didn't feel like Maya was too different from me emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so I just went in the room and I was like, this is what I got. This is what I feel. And it was a crazy day. I didn't, I had all my stuff prepared and I've told this story so many times. It's like I had my, you know, my, my hair that I was going to put on and, you know, my face uh-huh. that I was going to do and the right, you know, the <laughs> FBI gear and the trains were delayed and everything was going on that morning. And I had to walk in the room, just go. And luckily... It was right. It was something about yeah. that tape. They were like, there she is. So I'm so thankful. Yeah. And I just love the work that you put in and the commitment. And, you know, and as artists, ideally, every audition, we're putting in the work, we're working hard. But just the specificity that you talked about is is really inspiring and a great reminder to just be that specific with the work. And speaking of the work, who are some mentors that have helped you through this journey in the arts entertainment industry? There's so many. I wish I could just pull some out of a hat so that I wouldn't have to pick. But my first show straight out of grad school, I played opposite Lizanne Mitchell. Mm. And that was to meet her right away. If you know her, it was almost as if <laughs> God was like, let me put you in the hands of this person. <laughs> to guide you mm, yes. through this path. What was the show? It was called Starving okay. by S.M. Shepard Massat. It was at Woolly Mammoth Theater Company. Hey, Woolly Mammoth. Oh, somebody go look that up and be like, I know how old you are. Uh-oh. <laughs> ooh, 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 I shouldn't have said it. Ah. Sorette Scott was directing it. Love Sorette, yes. And in that show, I had Sorette, I had Lausanne, and then if you know DC, I had Dawn Ursula. Uh-huh. I, it, it, it was just, it was out of this world, the people that I was put into their orbit right away. My first year, I was in the hands of Timothy Douglas directing. Mm. I was in a play that was a Robert O'Hara piece, and I met Robert O'Hara on opening night. It was like the first year, it was like everything was just happening in step, in stride, and coming from a majority white undergrad, a majority white grad, all of a sudden being in the mix of Black royalty in the theater. Yeah. I was a roller coaster and I was in the front seat and I'm, I was thankful for it. Uh, a lot of those mentors happened along then. Uh, Robert O'Hara picked me up and I was able to do a couple of shows with him um, or writings of his. Timothy Douglas did that the same thing. Sorette did the same thing. Sorette was the first person to pull me out of D.C. to do a show. Wow. And let me tell I'll tell you, Sorette Scott, she directed me in Black Terror at NYU when I was at NYU. And I've gotten to work with her since, but she's just, she is an incredible director and just a fierce, like, fierce is the really the word that I think of. She's just so specific and she will perform. Yes. And you want to talk about stories? Yeah, I'm sure we both got stories of Sorette being like, you do it like you got to act like you really want it. She just has so many stories, you know, and, and she just yeah. always offering, you know, and like, she has that wonderful story about, you know, having them go on for For Color Girls, opening night. Like, you know, she's just, she's just wonderful. I think another one who along my journey I met that I think was a 180 for me seeing such a force on stage was Linda Gravatt. Mm. She played Mama in A Raisin in the Sun, first time I played yes. Benita. And Ugh. watching her work, I was like, oh, oh, so there's no ceiling. Mm. You could just bust through that and do what you felt like doing. Right. And you just let all that out there and you weren't worried about it. Taking notes, taking notes. <laughs> 
Yeah, she she lets it all out. I'm going to do that when I grow up. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah. And the list goes on. I mean, I've been just absolutely mm. blessed. That's beautiful. Just to go backwards a little bit, what got you started in theater? Well, I grew up in a, a household that was full of characters. Yeah. <laughs> and I was constantly impersonating everybody including some other characters that I just made up. Uh And depending on what I had on, I would go outside, I would change, and I would come back and I'd ring the doorbell. And whoever answered the door, they knew who it was based on the clothes. Wow. And my mother would, my brother sometimes would play. Uh, My father would sometimes play. But my mother was like, Shirley, and would get her glass of wine. And she poured her glass Uh of wine. And then she poured me some apple juice in a wine glass. And we talk about our husbands. And it was like, that was the beginning of improv. Yeah. And it was every day. Wow. It was every day. She was my she was my Barbie. She was my TV. We didn't have cable. We didn't have like, mm. I would see things so much later than all my friends would see them. Because my father just was like, you don't need all that stuff. Go outside and play. Right. <laughs> so that was the beginning for me. But then, um, you know, you do little drama, you know, little stuff at the school, like Black History Month show. And you say to... Langston uh-huh. Hughes poem and all of that. <laughs> and then uh, I'd say seventh grade was when I saw a drama club. It was uh, called Colors at Charles Carroll Middle School mm-hmm. in New Carrollton, Maryland. And yeah. I saw my people and I was like, okay. So, and I went up to the head of the drama club and I was like, how do I do this? And he was like, show up after school. And I was there and that was uh, seventh grade. And I graduated high school and was then teaching with them. But I was a part of that program up until right before I went to grad school. And I love hearing <laughs> that you, you would show up to your house as different characters. You would So you would change your clothes and then go outside and then ring the doorbell. That is amazing because I've heard, you know, as with my friends, we would imitate, we would play, we would, you know, suddenly be Mission Impossible. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> show up to my house as like... And I would call her Donna. I'd be like, hey, Donna. <laughs> you, you call her your mama by her first name. Because it wasn't me. <laughs> That is And she would entertain it. And people would be like, you crazy. (laughs) But she just, she was like, I don't know. You just, like, my mother is so dreamy. Like, she's just like, you just are always doing it. So I wasn't doing anything. I love it. (laughs) But my mother had a full-time job. And I was sitting there doing that while she was cooking dinner. You know, like, (laughs) she was a, uh, I I say this all the time. When you see a little flicker of something in your kids, just because it's not the dream that might be what you for them, entertain that flicker, and then feed that flicker because you never know what it might become. To have that support system from that young age, to know that, like, I can play and to now see where you are, you know, that it's a career, uh, a thing that you can't do without, you know, to have that support is really, really uh, beautiful and essential. What would you say in terms of, you know, having that support what has been a big transition for you? I mean, transitions are definitely important in life and certainly in this career, but what do you think your biggest transition has been thus far in building the career that you have? I mean, kind of what I was thinking of when you said 180, when you were talking about that, and that was deciding to leave home. I think that a lot of people come to New York after school or after, you know, different things, but it's, the, the ones that come later in life, it's, it's a little, it's, it's just a different type of move. And I let, I decided to leave everything that I had already built and been building 
behind. And I was teaching at Montgomery College. I had a position at Howard, Mm. uh, teaching acting as well. I was working nonstop on stage. I was able to see my family on a regular basis and be within my home. And then all of a sudden, it was like, okay, wait a minute. But what did you say you wanted? And I had to go after that. And that was the moment when I moved to New York. So, Jessica, you left everything that you knew behind. How did you determine this is my goal and this is why I need to leave? I've always been goal-oriented. I'm, I'm such a Capricorn. I am the <laughs> definition of a Capricorn woman when you look it up. Yes and yes to all of it. And so I'd always had it, you know, always had it written out, you mm. know, and every yes. year it was going to be that year. Mm. From the time I graduated school, every year, the next year I was going to New York. Ah. And this is how it's going to get there. And this is going to happen. This is going to happen. But in the beautiful world of art and beautiful world of being an artist, you start working and then you're like, but I'm doing exactly what I want to do. So then I would get a whole season, which in D.C., it's a it's a beautiful thing where, you know, those theaters cast their seasons. So by August, you know what you're doing until the next July. And so then it's like I have that stability. I love my townhouse. I'm in the neighborhood technically down the street from where I grew up. I'm working nonstop. My family, my friends, and everybody I grew up with can come see my shows. Teaching, I, I just had, I was like, what am, what am I, what do I want? Why would I want more? Mm. And I was like, especially, it's, I remember, I remember saying this to someone. I was like, why would I leave a paycheck to go search for a paycheck? Mm. Wow. And my friend was like, well, what kind of paycheck you want? And I was like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> you got a point. You got a point. All right. All right. <laughs> because I've done the hustle. Like, I had done the hustle. I worked at Legal Seafood. I worked at l Seafood. I worked at the Rib Shack. I worked at the Crab House. I worked at all of them. I was doing shows, getting paid $200 a week, you know, making... Sh- I was rehearsing one during the day, performing one at night, having two jobs, slinging ribs. And so it was just like, I have all these jobs to pay all these bills. And I look at this one person who did this one commercial mm-hmm. and they just made twenty six thousand dollars right and they said two words uh-huh. there weren't any really any you know national commercial auditions in dc there weren't any shows yeah. filming in dc outside of veep and that was filming in, you know in baltimore and then you know a couple things were filming in baltimore and i was just like mm-hmm. what are you doing jess like if you want to do this do it or be happy i mean there's plenty of opportunity to just stay and be happy but i think that we all have our own personal goals and after I was, I had opened up to start doing the regional work and performing with people that were from New York. And I mean, like, literally, I would be the only person that didn't live in New York in the show. But it would wow. be from directors that I met in D.C., you know, that would pull me out to do a regional show. Yeah. And I was just like, you got to do it. You got to do it. So every year I was going to do it. And every year I would have a season. I was like, you blessed. Sit down. <laughs> Stay put. Stay put. And sure enough, Robert O'Hara called one night and was like, I just wanted to let you know that Booty Candy is going to Off-Broadway. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, well, what's that mean? Like, what? why are you right. calling me? Does that mean I'm in? Like, right. <laughs> you know, like, what's that stuff? What's the end? <laughs> and he was like, I, you know, you have to audition. I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> oh. 
Shady, 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 shady. Shady Robert, that's a shady Robert. Don't you be calling people, letting them know the show is moving. But just so you know, you got to audition, but the I show going to be there. I just want to let you know. He said, you got to audition. And I was like, okay. Well, and he was like, you know, Lance and Philip have been with the show nonstop. You know, they're going to be in. And I was like, of course they're going to be in. There's no booty candy without them. You know, uh-huh. sure enough, I went up to that audition in New York City. And it was my first time going up for an audition. Wow. And I was like, this mine. Mm-hmm. I, I originated this. Had all of that with yes. me. You know, went in the room. Yes. Killed it. I was like, there ain't no way. And I was like, it's time. Let's go to New York City. Hey. And I got that email that I didn't get it. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, I have to. But what? You didn't get it. I'm confused because I saw you in it. What happened? So I didn't get it. And I remember sitting in the car. I was doing piano lesson down in oh. Maryland at Oni Theater. And I remember looking at the phone for like 10 minutes. Uh-huh. Like... Damn. Damn. Like, I was just, I was so, you know, in your heart, you're like, that was mine. Yeah. But I guess not. I guess it was for somebody else. Um, And I went on to, you know, in the business mindset that I do and just was like, all right, well, let's figure out what we are doing in that slot. Yeah, next. Yeah, next. Keep on, keep it going. Don't keep your feelings in it. But my feelings were hurt, you know. Yeah. Got close to getting ready to do the next show. And I was like, you know what, though? If I was planning on moving, I'm going to move anyway. Yeah. Because I was planning on being ready to move if I booked that show. Like, I need to just go ahead and go. And by that time, I had moved out of my apartment two years ago already in D.C. Because I was on the regional circuit for about two and a half years nonstop. Mm. Just going from theater housing wow. to theater housing. And it was a blessed situation. But then all of a sudden, I was like, I, if, I'm never going to do it if I don't just do it. And so... Yeah. I went up and I went to Larry Powell's birthday party. Hey, Larry Powell. Shout out, Larry. Shout out, Larry Powell. And Chi-Chi invited. Hey, Chi-Chi. Hey. And that's where I met everybody. I'm sure. Because if you know Larry Powell, Larry Powell know everybody. And between Larry Powell and Chi-Chi, that's everybody. Every, everybody. everybody. Yes. And I remember being in the party and I stepped up to Larry to say hi and happy birthday. He didn't know who I was. Uh-huh. No, no. I, I figured he didn't know who I was. And I was like... I just want to say happy birthday. Chi-Chi invited me. You know, I, you know, I love your work. I said, he was like, oh, okay, what's your name? And I was like, Jessica. He was like, Jessica Francis Dukes. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, we know who you are. You've been killing it on the regional circuit. And immediately I felt community. Yeah. And I felt like this sort of sense of belonging. And I was staying on my friend's couch. And two nights later, or was it that night? No, no, it was the next night. Because, oh. I was still in my party clothes. <laughs> so it was, the ne- it was the next day. The next day, uh-huh. Robert called me and was like, the girl backed out. It's going to you. Hallelujah. Won't he do it? Won't he will? Won't he, won't he? But it wow. starts rehearsal in two weeks, so you got to move up to New York in two weeks. My, my, my. I was a vagabond the whole time. I was crashing on couches anyway, on purpose. Like, I really, something I learned about myself, everybody does this thing differently. I, I need to be free. I need to be able to move and bounce. And yeah. the way my life was set up at the time, um, I could. And so all my stuff was already in storage anyway. I was like, I called Lance, who me and Lance were already tight. I was like, I need to sleep on your floor. And he was <laughs> like, why? And I was like, bitch, because I'm about to be a booty candy. He was like, what? And we just fell out. (laughs) And so I was sleeping on Lance's floor for the first two weeks. And then uh, another mutual friend of ours was like, well, my apartment's available if you want to sublet it. Mm. And I subletted her apartment with an air mattress on the floor. Everybody bought me pots and pans to rehearsal. And I made it work. I love our community. It takes a village, truly. And I, I, my experience with the Black theater community is that we were always lifting each other up, helping each other out. What do you need? 
I'm a resource, I'm a shoulder, I'm, you know, so it's beautiful to hear that that was a part of your journey. And I am a product of this community because there's not too many people that you can ask that I haven't talked to that has offered me a place to stay, leads mm. on housing, Airbnbs, or I think I even talked to you about a sublet one time. Like uh-huh. <laughs> everybody has reached out. Everybody knew I was a vagabond for a minute. And I was so thankful to, I'm, and I will say this now, I'm thankful to every single one of you. And I'm going to get emotional, but I'm not because oh. I would not be where I am if, without the entire community here and in DC. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, it's so beautiful to hear. And it's empowering to see folks continue in their career trajectory, get on TV, get on film, but also be able to acknowledge and appreciate and um, still support the community, the smaller theater community that they came from because you learn so much through this community, you know? I'm wondering in terms of that transition from DC to New York, I think that's a powerful message right there that like you kind of had a plan and you were kind of back and forth, you were kind of double dutch with the plan. And then God said, we gonna expedite this. <laughs> In terms of working on the project, so you, you were here working on Booty Candy, talking about that kind of business mentality, were you able to balance that focus on the actual work of, okay, I'm performing and kind of inviting people, doing that type of show business business aspect of it? Or was it first and foremost, I'm, on, I'm just going to yeah, focus yeah. on no, the show, I mean, um, on the performing? You can't be in any Robert show and not focus on Robert show. I'll uh-huh. tell you that right now. <laughs> I thought it was going to be easy because I'd done it before, but the pressure of a show like Booty Candy, yeah, the amount of work that it takes, I couldn't focus on anything other than that during the rehearsal process. Some people might not have seen Booty Candy. Y'all need to check it out, find the script, see what you can. It's a beast of a piece because there's a lot of comedy, different styles of comedy. There's a lot of fun, crazy things that happen in that show and playing different characters. So just wanted to give people a sense of the versatility and the flexibility that that type of show requires. It is. It really is. It's like you can come to that show and think people just being loud and out there and just letting it go. But it's just as strategic as Shakespeare working on Mm -hmm. Robert's comedy. It has timing. It has rhythm. It has a certain give and take that everybody has. Like It's like playing a basketball game where everybody has positions. Yes. That ball is that joke. Robert said it every day. Uh, I remember... One of my favorite notes that I get and all, I've worked with Robert six times. He said, you better not let a joke fall. (laughs) (laughs) And he means it, you know? Yes. And it's because it's written so beautifully that the minute you put your thing on it, it, it smack it, get out of there. Like it's, it's a strategic thing that you have to build with your company, with your, you know, that's why I love ensemble shows. Like it, it really is like, until it's your scene, you know, like until we can all sit back and watch Lance with that preacher moment, you know, Uh and it's just, but even then like him rehearsing each second of that, you know, it, Mm. it's just brilliant. So yeah. So to be in that, I couldn't focus on anything else, but once we opened, I was freelancing with um, some agents at the time. And I said, Mm. look, this is my business game. This is what I want. I walked in the office <laughs> and I love them. I'm still with them until this day. You were ready. You said, this is my plan. Y'all working for me. Because that's really what it is. Some people think, you know, your agents, your managers, they're working for you. So if you came in and said, look, this is my plan. This is what I want us to do. Let me tell you something, Eric. I, I walked in that. But when they, I think when they saw me walk in with Panera, <laughs> I was like, here's the packet. Get you some coffee. 
we're going to be here. So here's the plan. <laughs> yes, love it. And I was like, you know, this is what I see. This is what I would love to do. This is who I want to work with. This is where I want to work. And this is where I want to be. Mm. I don't yes. know New York the way you do. So I trust you in making sure that I connect the dots and have the right dots. You put it, you put the dots down because I'm still learning who the dots are. But but we all know what this end game is. So yeah. let's work together to connect them, you know. And I lucked out with people that never felt like I was trying to do their job for them. Um, because for the longest time I was my agent, you know, I was the one hustling. Mm. And I have that hustle mentality. So I expect anybody on my team to be like, what? What are we doing? And they were. I think with any agents, there are moments when it doesn't work, you know, but that's with mm-hmm. any of us. Because Booty Candy was such a success. I got into so many offices. I got into so many, you know, generals and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, it was like, hello, New York. Here I am. And then my ass left for six months. Uh-huh. And to do, I assume, a regional theater gig or what? why? Yeah. But I wasn't going to turn it down because it was King Headley. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when am I going to have the opportunity to do King Headley at Arena Stage? I, I got to take this. Another moment that I left was for the Scottish play at Actors Theatre of Louisville. Mm-hmm. And so it started to be that I only left for passion pieces. Yeah. I left for Detroit 67 with Camila Forbes and Dominique. Yes. You know what I mean? So, so you can see why I, I left in those moments. But yes. outside of those, I decided to trust my agents and go, okay, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to sit. And that was a huge transition for me going from work, work, work to fill the spaces. Not saying that I didn't love all the projects. I, I, I mean, I love doing art, but some of those pieces or those things that fill the spaces are to pay rent. Right. So all of a sudden I had to stop taking those things or even love things, things that you want to go out and things that you want to go. I'm a hardest. I want to do this. I want to work with these people. And all of a sudden I had to say no to those things and sit. I had to say no to a paycheck for nothing. <laughs> Message! Your vision for your career was what you were sticking to, and I love that, and I love that you were able to honor that in your yeses and in your decisions to say no, because that's something I think, especially with a lack of mentality, we can, especially as artists, be like, oh, just any job, any job, as long as I'm working, as long as... But if you have a vision for your career, a vision for your life, ultimately, then you're deciding, you need to be clear on the decisions around, okay, I'm saying yes to this because, or I'm saying no to this because this does not fit in with the vision. So I love that. I'm, I really admire that. And also being okay with exactly what you want. And if that's what you want, you know, if you are comfortable with just that, that is fine. Like, I don't look down on anybody with how they choose to live their art, but I've never wanted to do anything else. And I know for me, huh? <laughs> It's going to sound dreamy and fairy tale ish, but if you know me, that I, I love fairy tales. But I owe it to that little girl who knew that New York City was it, who dreamed, who was singing musicals around her room, you know, at six. You know, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't Tanya Pinkins. You couldn't tell me that I was, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, that I wasn't Heather Headley. Like, <laughs> yes. yes. And so yeah, I right. owed it to that little girl. And I was like, no, I want to see how far I can go. And If you say that there's a possibility in this and every moment that I decided to go with whatever transition was happening with whatever 180 was, every moment that I allowed myself to kind of flow with the current, there were scary moments in there. But then on the outside of it, on the other side of it, it was like, oh, that's why I was supposed to do this. Mm, mm, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful in those moments because in those moments where all of a sudden I wasn't going away and working, I got a chance to meet the community. I got a chance to do things like, you know, 48 hours in Harlem with you and like yeah. meet all these people. And like, yeah, all of a sudden it was just like, it, it was just, it was the right thing. It was hard. It was hard, but it was the right thing. I'm, I'm going to ask you, because I know um, when we talked before, you mentioned a professor who changed your life. And I just want to hear about that, because hearing your trajectory and the way you balanced kind of the art and show business, because it is a business, um, how did that professor really influence you and what does she mean to you? When I came to undergrad, I was coming from a situation where there, I mean, there were, it was not a very mixed middle school or elementary school or high school. It mm. was majority Black. Um, my teachers mm. were majority Black. And then I went to Frostburg State University up in the mountains of Maryland, where it was like 10% Black. And it was at the time where I got in because I wasn't that focused in high school. I wasn't a bad kid, but I just wanted to do art. I just wanted to play make-believe. I was sitting in English with a script in my book, in my, you know, actual (laughs) textbook, acting like I was doing work. Like, I... And my parents just could not, like, they tried, they took me out of drama club because oh. they were just like, it, we, we got, we, you got to do something with these grades. Like, yeah. I'm just like, I don't, I was Denise Huxley. <laughs> like, I was Denise Huxley. <laughs> yes, Denise, all over the place. All over. And so luckily I got into college. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and my first year, it was a new professor on board. It was her first year and she was straight out of New York. This Italian woman named Marzios Russian. And I auditioned for the school, but I was, you know, in that performing arts troupe. So I knew how to perform. That's all we do is perform. You know, we, we do uh-huh. full on shows. We got that. But plays, not so much. Acting classes, we don't know how to act, but I will perform down. Right. Put on Gladys Knight and watch me lip sing it. Right. I'm going to act up. I'm going to act up. And she basically said in the very first class, before she said anything, she was like, if you come to my class late, you're fucked. Wow. She was like, if you don't take this seriously, you might as well not be a major. Do not waste my time. And like, that's how she was talking to us before she even said hello. Wow. And I was like, I mean, (laughs) I don't know who messed up your name, but (laughs) I had the braids. I was in class eating Cheetos. I was like, Uh, I was that girl. I was the girl who knew I was good, Uh but didn't want to work for it. Mm. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to rehearse. Can we just do it? Yeah. I don't understand process of studying. Why we got to study theater history? Like, can we just, just give me the script. And she, and she broke me down. she got you right together. It was little bit by little bit. She made us a uh, minor in marketing. Mm. If we weren't going to minor in marketing, we had to take her marketing for the actor class. She was very heavy on the business. She basically said to us, she was like, I don't care if you leave here and know how to act. You can go to grad school and get your further education. You're going to learn from every director and actor that you work with. Obviously, you can act. You got him. I care that you walk out of here and you know who you are as a business. And she said, "If you, I want you to be the CEO the, and the best damn janitor of that damn business. And I want you to fill in all the spaces in between. Mm. And she made sure that we left with a blueprint for the next 15 years. And then I used that blueprint and have been using that blueprint for the it since till this day. I just wrote up a new 10-year plan based on this now transition. Wow. I I I mean that's that's beautiful. That's it. Do you still keep in touch with her? Yeah, I literally just emailed her uh, the other day because I'm gonna talk to the students and just kinda 
give back, you know, and especially in this time when they're virtually learning art, um, just to give them some hope and be like, hey, I know you in the mountains of Maryland, but you could be in the mountains of the Ozarks soon. Just keep on working. Or something, you know, I'll think of something yes. inspiring to say, I hope, you know. Yes, you will. You you, you have said a lot inspiring today. So, <laughs> so, yes, you got some inspiring things to say. And what that was at Frostburg State. Is that right? But sometimes it's those hard professors that like get you right. To, and then you're like, OK, I, I understand why you were hard on me because I had to learn. I couldn't dilly dally and play. I had to learn. I think she could see everything that I hope for. I think she could see the things mm. that I see now. Um, when she saw me, I think she she said, you know, I see, I see a little bit of myself in you, but I was very misguided and young and doing all the things that, you know, I technically think you should be doing in college mm. outside of your studies. And I wasn't quite the best student. So she did do- double time, overtime, triple time where her work did not, it just didn't stay in the classroom. And I can't tell you how many times she pulled me in her office about personal stuff and was just like, I, I really don't, I, I, I don't know what to say to you, but this is what I'm going to say. And it ended up being <laughs> things that every year just like got me through. Like I wouldn't have graduated without her. Oh, that's beautiful. So we like to close the show out with a quote and get your, your thoughts on this quote that um, I think is relevant to what we've discussed. So here it goes. You get a strange feeling when you're about to leave a place. Like, you'll not only miss the people you love, but you'll miss the person you are now at this time and this place. Because you'll never be this way ever again. And that's a quote by Azar Nafisi. Yeah, I think that what we do is a special thing. It's a special thing. Um, Because we are constantly in, hopefully, in stages of growth. If we choose to grow if we choose to do the work. I am currently in a stage. I feel another one five years now or six years now after I've transitioned to New York. My entire life changed. The people around me changed, except for my close, close, close. You know, like I, my best friends are, I've been best friends with my best friends for 20 years. Yeah. So that close circle hasn't changed. But, you know, you don't have access to them. Definitely now, you know, in this wonderful mm-hmm. pandemic, you don't have access to them. But I'm currently in another change now. Uh, with Ozark and all the moments where you look at your life and you go, this is how it should look and this is how it wants to look and this is the dream and this is, it's uh-huh. going to look like this, this, that, and that. It's, it's not going to look anything like you think it's going to look. <laughs> right. Mm. And I'm so blessed to be on a show like that. But it is a huge transition moment in my life going from living paycheck to paycheck and 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 going from, you know, just, even in this transition that we're in. So right now I'm about to move into a different part of my life. And I think that I've never changed as far as who I am internally, but I've had to change for each season that comes. Yeah. Because you have to grow, you know? I feel like each time the transition happens, I'm learning all over again. You know, I feel like I'm at the beginning of something all over again, and I'm having to learn all these new things all over again. And you know, we don't shoot here. We shoot in Georgia. So I spend a lot of time in Georgia as opposed to in New York with my friends. Like, if you think about it for me, I was in Georgia for six months, came back, did a show off Broadway really quickly and then pandemic. I really haven't seen my friends in a minute. So it's like, it's just so many things that I think transition brings. Yeah. And it's up to you to just like 
hold on to the things that are your core and hold them tight. You know, like I said, I, I don't think I've changed, but I've grown with the seasons. Beautiful. So we want to thank Miss Jessica Francis Dukes for being with us. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I want to make sure that folks stay connected to you. So be sure to follow Jessica on Instagram at Jessica Francis Dukes. Is that you on Twitter as well? Jesse F. Dukes on Twitter. Jesse F. Dukes on Twitter. And look out for her on TV screens. Uh, you know, you know, there's just things in the works. And I'm going to say we're going to manifest right now that King Hedley II, you're going to be in that movie because it's going to be a movie. Oh, so. I would love it. I would yes. love it. That's one role that I would love to put back on again. She was hard, but I'd love her. Oh, yes. I see that. I see that in the future. I see it happening. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to staying connected and seeing the wonderful growth and the new transitions that come with your career. So thank you, Jessica. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you all for joining us. The 180 is produced by David Treatman with audio production and editing by Mike Luno. Original music composed by Jarrett Landon and sung by yours truly. And digital portraits by Byron McRae. If you like what you heard, tell your friends. We need your help to spread the love and inspiration. Follow us on all social media at The180Pod and visit our website at www.the180pod.com. If you want to help support these stories, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You can get access to chat more with me. You can also get exclusive content, merchandise, and you can hear episodes early. Visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com, the180pod. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric Lockley. Take care and be blessed. Know that you'll have a blessing if you just keep on pressing. Don't stop, keep going, you can turn it around. The 180, yes, it's a big change. The 180, your life won't be the same. The 180, you can do it. Say yes to your beautiful future. The 180, yeah.